Hello and welcome. My name is Pastor Shane Britt, and it is such an honor to have you join our podcast today. I pray that you will find something uplifting and encouraging in the word you are about to hear. Also, please feel free to connect with us via Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. I'm so excited about what you're about to hear. Let's dive right into the Word of God. Exodus chapter 25, verse 1 through 9. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart. Ye shall take my offering. And this is the offering which ye shall take of them. Gold. Everybody say gold. Everybody say and silver. And brass. And blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat's hair. And the ram skin dyed red and badger skins and sheet of wood. Oil for the light. Spices for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense. Onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. Verse number 8. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Somebody say among them. According to all that I show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of the instruments thereof even so shall ye make it. If I were to ask you a question that some of you have been blessed to be asked before what do you do with a pattern? What do you do with a pattern? You make something by it. Do you wear the pattern? Do you cut the pattern? You don't, you don't alter the pattern? Because if you alter the pattern, you alter the outcome of what you are trying to make. So tonight I just want to begin this study uh, on the tabernacle. The tabernacle. As I begin to look at the, uh, the mass exodus of the children of Israel. And I begin to observe how God led Israel from bondage into freedom. And how God gave Moses his perfect law of liberty from Mount Sinai. When you read the book of Exodus you will see that God gave commandments and statutes and ordinances. And it's very interesting when you look at the detail that God took to give Moses such, uh, such instructions that would lead his people through the wilderness journey that they were embarking upon. I don't think it's by accident that God would give such detail because what happens, and when you look at the, the context of the children of Israel and how they were, uh, all they were were a bunch of slaves. They had been in captivity uh, for over 500 years and now they are being released to live uh, on their own per se, being led by, by Moses, going to a, a place of promise, but in that place, uh, in that transition from a place of of slavery to a place of promise, they found themselves wandering in a wilderness. And as a result, God had to give them ordinances and laws and statutes. But in Exodus 24, 9 and 11, it says, Then Moses, 
And then went up Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu. And 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet as it were a paved work of sapphire stone. And as it were the body of heaven in his clearness. And upon the nobles of the children of Israel he laid not his hand. Also they saw God and did eat and drink. And when you read the read what I just read to you. It describes to us a closeness that God was longing for with his people. He did not want to leave them alone in this journey, or, or may I say a, a transition. And when we look through scripture and we see how God was so detailed, and he gave Moses detailed commandments on what they should and should not do. But at the same time, he gave Moses instructions for the tabernacle in the wilderness. The command was communicated to Moses while in the mountain with God. And in Exodus 25 and 8, it said, Make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. And God will never, if we can get this in our spirit tonight, God will never tell you to do something without also telling you how to do it. So Moses, full of these instructions that were given by God for the construction of the tabernacle, he entered this relationship in a special relationship with God. There was something forged in that mountain that, that the Holy Writ tells us all that God spoke to him but you can only imagine what the relationship must have been like between he and God. And so when he came down from that mountain, it was without hesitation. It was without any reservation that Moses had the plan for that structure with the particular directions as God would give him as to the size and the forms. The materials that would be employed. And every article of furniture which was to it for it to contain. And all these directions were carefully recorded by Moses. Who then communicated them to the leaders of the people. Obviously something of this magnitude would be both great and greatly expensive. There would be, a, there would be required a large amount of precious and costly material. And the Lord wanted it to be a free will offering. It wasn't something uh, that, that they were mandated per se. But it was what God wanted was a free will offering. And the Bible said it like this in Exodus 25 and 2. Of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart. Ye shall take my offering. When I read that this afternoon it was a fresh reminder that this scripture teaches us that both devotion to God and a spirit of sacrifice were the first necessary things in preparing a dwelling place for the Most High. And I believe I can safely say this tonight, and you will agree, and nothing has changed today. We will do nothing of lasting value for God without devotion and without sacrifice. But let me also say this. This message from Moses to the people did not scare them away. 
As a matter of fact, they all responded with one accord. There was nothing that could be asked of them that would make them shy away from the task or the challenge at hand. Listen to what the Bible says in Exodus 35, 21-29. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him up, and everyone whom his spirit made willing. And they brought the Lord's offering to the work of the tabernacle of the congregation, and for all his service, and for the holy garments. And they came, both men and women, as many as were willing-hearted, and brought bracelets and earrings and rings and tablets, all jewels of gold, and every man that offered, offered an offering of gold unto the Lord. And every man with whom found, found blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat's hair and red skins of, of rams and badger skins brought them. Every one that did an offering of silver and brass brought the Lord's offering and every man with whom was found Shedom wood for any work of the service brought it. And all the women that were wise-hearted did spin with their hands and brought that which had spun both of blue and of purple and of scarlet and of fine linen. And all the women whose hearts stirred them up in wisdom spun goat's hair. And the rulers brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and the breastplate and spice and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense. And the children of Israel brought a willing offering unto the Lord, every man and woman whose heart made them willing to bring for all manner of work which the Lord had commanded to be made by the hand of Moses. And I know I just read a lot, but you just take into consideration everything I just read. There was such a willingness to give and to sacrifice, and to make sure that they had a tabernacle in the wilderness that actually that they actually brought more than enough. Now listen to what comes next. In verse 5 and 6 of chapter 36, And they spake unto Moses, saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work, which the Lord commanded to make. And Moses gave commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed through the camp, saying, Let neither man nor woman make any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing. For the stuff they had was sufficient for all the work to make it. And read what the next verse said in verse number 7. For the stuff they had was sufficient for all the work to make it. And too much. They had too much. There was a spirit of sacrifice. There was a willingness to give that Moses just had to put a stop sign out there and say, Oh, 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 oh you got to quit bringing this stuff. we got too much. The tabernacle is going to be well taken care of. We've got enough to make it. Don't you bring any more. Don't, don't bring anything else. Man, that's, that's a miracle. And I'll just say this in passing. We have learned much from the children of Israel. We have learned how to trust God. If you go back and read uh, how they came out of Egypt and how they came across the Red Sea. that We learned some things in the wilderness. We learned how they trusted God. We learned how to not murmur when things don't go our way. But we also can learn from this principle that they show us 
that their, their zeal and willingness to give are an example of worthy imitation. How God gets a hold of our hearts and we willingly do for Him. Willingly do for the kingdom of God. I'm glad I pastor a church that willingly gives to the kingdom of God. So I asked myself this afternoon as I began to study this, and, you, and if, this, if you've heard this, it's just repeat for some. But I was intrigued and reminded, where did they get all the stuff from? Have you ever thought about that? Where did they get all the stuff from? They got it when they left Egypt. But they took it out of Egypt with this, with this not maybe not when they first did it, but they obeyed the command of the Lord while leaving. It wasn't for them. When they left Egypt, when they took everything that Moses told them to take, it wasn't for them. It would be revealed later. It was for the building of the tabernacle in the wilderness. Hallelujah. And, and, and so when you look at this concept and you look at this that we can learn for, from, and it, it behooves us to be reminded that we are not to keep for yourself what was intended to help build God a place of worship in our journey. That's what they did. That's what happened for them. They understood. They got a revelation. What I've got, it, it's not for me anyway. It's to build God a place. It's to build God a place to dwell. The tabernacle in the wilderness was proof that God didn't want to go through the that God did not want them to go through their wilderness by themselves. And I believe I could safely say this tonight, and we will all agree: it's not the will of God for us to go through life all by ourselves. God wants to go with us. He wants to go with us. So the tabernacle was constructed that it could be taken apart and carried with the Israelites in all of their journeying. It was built in such a way that it could be taken apart, it could be carried, it could be transported. In other words, the way God designed it, it was designed to be with them. The tabernacle was not just something that you come to. It was something that you took with you wherever you went. And when you look at the tabernacle, it was somewhat small. Not more than 55 feet in length. 18 in width and height. Yet it's magnificent in structure. I don't want to bore you with too much, but I think it does. And We need a reminder. The wood employed for the building and its furniture was that of an acacia tree. God understood I've got to have something. I've got to have a, a, a wood structure here that would be less subject to decay than any other obtained in that Sinai area. God knew what would last. He understood the material needed in that tabernacle. The walls were consisted of upright boards set in silver sockets held firm by pillars and connecting bars and all were overlaid with gold giving to the building the appearance of a solid gold house. The roof was formed from four sets of curtains, the innermost of fine, line, fine, twin, fine twined linen, and blue and purple and scarlet. With cherubims of cunning work, the other three respectively were goat's hair, ram skin dyed red, seal skins, so arranged as to afford 
it was completely waterproof and protected from the elements. God knew what he was doing when he created that building. The building was divided in two apartments by a rich and beautiful curtain or veil suspended from gold-plated pillars. And a similar veil closed the entrance of the first apartment. These, like the inner covering, which formed the ceiling, were the most gorgeous colors of blue and purple and scarlet, beautifully arranged with threads of gold and silver to represent the angelic host who are connected with the work of the heavenly sanctuary who are ministering spirits to the people of God on earth. The sacred tent was enclosed in an open space called the court which was surrounded by hangings or screens of fine linen, suspended from pillars of brass. The entrance to the enclosure was at the eastern end. There was only one way into that tabernacle. It was closed by the curtains of costly material and beautiful workmanship through inferior to those, though inferior to those of the sanctuary. The hangings of the court being only about a half as high as the walls of the tabernacle. The building could be plainly seen by the people outside. In the court, in the nearest entrance, stood the brazen altar of burnt offering. Between the altar and the door of the tabernacle was the laver, which also of brass made from the mirrors which had been the freewill offering of the women of Israel. You would then go into the holy place, and there were the table of showbread, the candlestick, and the altar of incense. And beyond that inner veil was the holy of holies, whose, where, where it was centered the symbolic service of atonement and intercession, and which formed the connecting link between heaven and earth. This was the tabernacle in the wilderness. And I know I'll just give you just a quick overview and Lord willing, next week we'll, we'll take each one of these pieces of the tabernacle and, and expound on them even greater. But the Bible called for specific metals, gold, silver, and brass. Gold is the emblem of which is divine. It's excellent. It's precious. And it is to remind us of God. Silver was the, what was the type and shadow or the typical of atonement and an atonement price. The Bible says it like this in 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19, for as much as you know that you were redeemed with corruptible things, that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Aren't you thankful tonight that we were redeemed by the blood? Hallelujah. It wasn't with silver or gold, but it was by the precious blood of Christ. When you look at silver, and silver is connected with redemption, which makes me think of Jesus Christ. Gold is for God. Silver is for the flesh of God. Everybody here, everybody listening to me tonight, and if gold represented the omnipresent, omniscient, the, that the invisible became visible. Gold representing the invisible, but silver representing the flesh of God. And then there was brass, 
It was the emblem of stability and enduring strength as iron is the emblem of overcoming strength. And the Bible says in Deuteronomy 33, The shoes shall be iron and brass, and as thy days, so shall thy strength be. This reminds us of the divine, eternal spirit, the Holy Ghost, gold, silver, and brass, God in creation, Son in redemption, Holy Ghost in regeneration, the gold, the silver, and the it's all in Him. It's all right there in the tabernacle, right before our eyes. The boards of the tabernacle were overlaid with gold. The sockets of the tabernacle were of silver. The sockets of the court were of brass. I don't think it's ironic in Nebuchadnezzar's image, there was the same order, gold, silver, and brass. Then there were the colors, the blue, the purple, and the scarlet. Blue, according to the root of its Hebrew name, signifies perfection. It is also the color of the heavens above, typical of that which is spiritual, heavenly, and perfect. Scarlet, typical of the earthly dignity and glory. While purple is a combination of scarlet and blue, reminding us of the union of the earthly and heavenly in the life of Jesus Christ. When you look at the magnificence of God's pattern in the book of Exodus, it, it just shows us that long before there was a manifestation of God manifest in the flesh, God took the blue thread and God took the scarlet thread and made us a purple thread. And that was both God and man. No wonder the crucifixion, at the crucifixion, they did this in Mark 15 and 17. And they clothed him with purple and plaited a crown of thorns and put it about his head. What it symbolized by the tabernacle in the wilderness so much. It was so much symbolization. But the first explanation is given in John chapter 1 verse number 14. And the word became flesh. And dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of only of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. One translation said, And the word was made flesh and tabernacled among us. When you look how magnificent and how glorious the tabernacle really was, how it was foreshadowing of a greater day, a greater hour. But let's look back. At verse number 8 and 9 of chapter 25. And let them make me a sanctuary. That I may dwell among them. According to all that I show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle. And the pattern of all the instruments thereof. Even so shall ye make it. I want you to understand. What God is trying to show us. God having redeemed the people of Israel. Out of Egypt. He desired a dwelling place among them in the wilderness. He got them out of Egypt. But he wasn't satisfied with just getting them out of Egypt. He wanted to dwell among them. He wanted to be with them. That was his chosen people. That was what God wanted to do. Commune with them. Fellowship with them. Dwell among them. Anytime God delivers you, He does it for a purpose. 
He doesn't deliver you so you can remain disloyal and disconnected. He delivers you so He can dwell in you. He doesn't just bring you into an apostolic service and expose you and and you feel a few goosebumps and you feel that there's something different here. What He wants to do is no longer just dwell among us. He wants to dwell within you. He wants to get in us. He wants to dwell inside of us. Hallelujah. God now desires that sinners redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and that we should according to Ephesians 2 and 22 in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So now God no longer has a tabernacle in a wilderness. How many knows where God where God's house is? Sister Nicole, this is God's house. I am God's house. God no longer dwells in a desert outside of Sinai. No, 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 no. God now dwells in us. That's been the whole plan since creation. A relationship with Him. He wanted a habitation with us. And in us. First Peter said in 2 and 5. Ye also are lively stones. And are built up a spiritual house. We now are the house that God dwells in. When Jesus was on earth. He was the sanctuary. Let me just say it like this brother. Doc. When Jesus came and was born. He became the dwelling place of God. He was God manifest in the flesh. So when he ascended into heaven, did he leave us comfortless? Did he leave us without a plan? Did he leave us with no instruction? No, he said, I'm leaving, but I, come on, son, I'm coming back to you. How are you going to, you're leaving, but you're coming. I'm coming back in the form of my spirit. I no longer shall be with you, but I shall now be in you. Jesus in the flesh, the man Christ Jesus was the dwelling place of God. The Bible says, in Him the glory of the Godhead dwelt. In Him, Sister Kendall, the fullness of the Godhead dwelt. In His body dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead. Without measure. The Word was made flesh and tabernacled among us and we beheld His glory. I hope you are getting something out of this. But after ascending back to heaven, God then built the church for His habitation. I'm going to say that again. After ascending back to heaven, God then built what then became the habitation of His presence. We did. I am God's church. I am a member in particular. I have now become by His Spirit a royal priesthood, a chosen generation. I've been called out of darkness 
into this marvelous light. And matter of fact, Peter heard the words of Jesus when he said, Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You've come too late to tell me that the church is the most unstoppable force on planet earth. Why? Because we embody his presence. We now become the tabernacle. We are now what houses his spirit. My, my, my. How perfect are the words of our Lord. He does not say, let them make themselves a tabernacle or a meeting place that I may come and visit them. God begins from himself. Let them make me. He didn't say let, me, let them make them or us. He says let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. God wants to have a dwelling place among us. No wonder Jesus said in John 15, Abide in me, I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. The tabernacle in the wilderness comes from the Hebrew word called mishkan. It means a resident or a dwelling. Also the temple. Its meaning is derived from the root shakan, which means to lodge, to dwell, to settle, or reside. It is from this root also comes the often used adjective associated with God's glory, the shekinah. In other words, his glory ought to be found in the tabernacle. Even in the wilderness, they needed his glory. Even in tough times, in wilderness season, just like they did, we still need to seek his glory. Hallelujah. I believe that this one subject, when we look at all of the furnishings and all of the pieces of the furniture, and the building, and the significance of all of it, would all summarize this. God wants to dwell with you and in you. God does not want you walking and living without His presence. We call this the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And I know many churches, many denominations, many churches today, they stop short of permitting or allowing individuals to receive the indwelling 
or the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And they regulate that train of thought as that it happened only in the book of Acts. Or it only happened for a certain number of apostles or disciples of Christ. But I've come to remind and to tell you what Scripture had to say on the issue. For the Word of God said in Acts chapter 2 verse 39, For this promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Somebody say, that's me. That's my children. That's my family. That's whosoever will let them come. I am believing, Brother Jake Jones, that there is a revival getting ready to spread. It's already begun. There is a revival of people hungry for the indwelling power of the Holy Ghost. I believe this with all of my heart. That people are about to start walking in this house, in those doors, and they're going to say, I want the Holy Ghost. I want to receive what they received in the book of Acts. We've tried dead, dry religion and it has got us nowhere. But I want the genuine indwelling of the Holy Ghost. Why is that? Because God still desires to dwell in His people. If our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. I said our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. So what good is a temple without the Spirit? How many people are walking aimlessly through life? They believe there's a God. They've, they've confessed, I, I, I believe in God. But God's, God hasn't infilled or indwelled that vessel until we release ourselves and we repent of our sins. And we're baptized in Jesus' name. And we receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Look throughout the book of Acts. And you will see in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 19. You will see the incidences of people who, who were filled with the Holy Ghost. And the evidence. And the evidence of the infilling of the Holy Ghost was that they spoke with tongues. They spoke with tongues. And it is still the sign of the initial evidence of, of receiving the indwelling power of God. How did they know in the book of Acts? How did they know in Acts chapter 2 that they had received the Holy Ghost? For they heard them. They heard them speak with tongues. It's still the sign. If, it was that, if that was the sign in A.D. 33... It's still the sign, A.D. 2023. Nothing has changed. There's not a new Holy Ghost. There's not a new message. There's not a new doctrine. There's not a new name. It's still the only saving gospel that will redeem mankind. And now, more than ever, God, I know He's talking to me. And I believe He's talking to the body of Christ. That there is a hunger. There is a hunger. As much from God as it is from man. See, the tabernacle was created as a response of a desire from God. God had the desire to dwell among men. 
God had the desire to dwell among them. It wasn't necessarily the, the people. They were a bunch of, and I'll say it, they were a bunch of slaves. They were a bunch of murmurers and complainers. But God said, I love them anyway. I just want to get among them. And I believe if I can get among them, maybe they'll turn their hearts toward me. And see, that's what I'm praying will happen in our church and amongst our members that we can make this experience of living for God so amazing. There's no other way to... It's okay to be holy. It's okay to go to a Pentecostal church that still believes in the power of the Spirit and still believes in signs and wonders. And it's so You have nothing to hold your head down about. And when we embrace who we are, but here's what, here's what can also step into this modern day church. It's the same thing that happened there. The children of Israel did not want a personal relationship with God. As bad as God wanted it with them, here was what they would say. Moses, you go talk to God for us. Moses, you go before God. And God said, no, I, don't want, I want to be among you. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to do for you what... God worked through His man. And that relationship seesawed back and forth all throughout the book of Genesis, all throughout the book of Exodus. And you look all the way to the coming of Jesus Christ. God gets, he got so tired of the confusion. And His desire was greater than what man's desire was. He said... I've got to come and do this myself. I've got, to, I've got to leave my throne in glory. I've got to leave and I've got to robe myself in flesh. And I've got to come dwell among men. And I've got to be the sacrifice that will ultimately bring my people back into relationship. So God robed himself in flesh. And became the He became the bridge. To reconnect us into relation. What he always wanted was relationship. What he always wanted was to dwell with his people. In the tabernacle, he dwelled among them. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he dwelled among them. But Sister Andrea, in the book of Acts, he said, I'm not going to dwell among you anymore. I'm coming in you. And what he could not do among them, he now is doing in us. Now we're literally turning the world upside down. Literally ignorant and unlearned men through the Spirit of God and by the Spirit of God are literally multiplying the influence of one man. What one man zigzagged through that, that whole seaside and that whole uh, Israeli area teaching and preaching and doing miracles. That, that whole Israel area, that footprint, that small footprint because of one man that came and paid the ultimate sacrifice for sin. Now, we have become ambassadors. Now, we have become His voice. Now we have become what they tried to look into. Now we have 
what they glared into and tried to figure out. And when they seen the fire come down from heaven, and they knew the presence of God was ministering to Moses in the mount, that same Aren't you glad God still operates in fire? The Bible says in John, I indeed baptize you with water, but there's one coming after me that he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. See, the children of Israel, they, they, could, they could relate to the fire of the Old Testament. They understood that the fire on the brazen altar, and I'm getting way ahead, I'm getting in another lesson, but, but that fire, anybody know where the fire came from, the brazen altar? It came from God. It came forth out of God. Where did that fire come down upon the Holy of Holies and the Holy of Holies, on that mercy? It came from God. That Shekinah came from God. Now, now. When we come into this sanctuary, Brother Dodd, and the Spirit of God gets to moving, and it's like fire set upon us. Jeremiah tried to describe it. It's like fire shut up in my bones. And we rolled to the New Testament church, and it's fire again. Now we've got the Holy Ghost and fire. That consuming fire that purges us. From all unrighteousness. It purges us from all sin. I close tonight. With this. What I felt tonight. What they. Looked into. What they got to witness. In a wilderness journey for 40 years. God being. We have one of the highest and greatest privileges known to man. We have the privilege of allowing the indwelling presence of God into our lives. You say, Pastor, I've never received the indwelling presence of God. Well, let me just tell you, as I've already stated, it's available for you. You can receive it. A matter of fact, let me tell you how serious God is about receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. When I read the story of a man, his name was Nicodemus. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say, Unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Oh, that lets me know that water baptism in his name and the infilling of the Holy, the indwelling power of God dwelling on the inside of us is the only thing that will identify us when he comes back for his bride. When the trumpet sounds 
And the dead in Christ rise first. Does anybody know what's going to quicken our mortal bodies? What's going to get us up out of that grave? The Bible says the same spirit that raised Christ up from the dead. If it dwell in you, Brother Jones, it's going to get you and I up out of that grave. But what if we don't have the Holy Ghost? What if we don't have, what's going to then get us out of the grave? The Spirit must be living and indwelling in us for it to be that agent, for it to be that, if I could use the word force, that would break open those graves, that would shatter those tombs, and we would rise. Mortality putting on immortality, rising in victory, and truly we would say, Oh, grave, where is your victory? Death, where is the sting? His Spirit is the thing that makes all of this make sense to us. Paul said, if in this life we had hope, we would be of all men most miserable. But when I've got the indwelling presence and power of God, when I'm walking with the Holy Ghost, in the Holy Ghost, come what may, come hell or high water, come situations, come wilderness experiences, I can go through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil, for thou art with me. Come what may. I've got the Spirit. Some of you need to take inventory of who's living on the inside of you. Some of you need to take inventory. He's not just living among us. He's living in us. If we've got the Holy Ghost. You ought to tell everybody you can. You get to have the Holy Ghost. We get to get the Spirit of God living on the inside of us. We get to be baptized in Jesus' name. Man, I feel it in this room right now. Ooh-wee. I'm just glad that when he took his final breath, when he said, it is finished. You remember all them bells I talked about? You remember all the, that fine line, that, that fine linen and that scarlet and that purple? When he took his last breath. That veil in the temple, it was torn. What did that do for you and I? What did that do for you? Let me tell you what it did. There was now no boundary between us and the presence that they looked into. That they gazed into from a distance. When that once a year experience that a priest would experience behind the veil. No longer was the, that was no longer the case. But when he said it is finished, it ended. It ended the ceremonial worship as they had known it before. Now the relationship and the bridge between God and man would be altered and changed forever. That's why we can say, therefore now come boldly before the, before the throne of grace. What are we waiting on? What are we waiting on from sharing the good news of the grace of God? What are we waiting on in telling somebody there's bigger sins than yours beneath the blood? Just come to an altar. Come to a place where you can be filled with His Spirit. Stand to your feet all over this place. Oh, la la bahaya.
All the curtains, all the ram's skins, all the seal skins, all the waterproofing measures that they put into that building, all of the things and details that God put in place, in one breath, he ripped it. He tore it. He said, that part's over. We ain't operating like that anymore. I know it's dark and gloomy outside. I know the forecast of this world looks, wow, don't even turn on the news. Don't even turn on social media and look at the bank, the bank structure and the bank situation and the, the, the jobs and the, the lawlessness and all that is going on right now. In our world, the sexual immorality, what they're trying to propagate to our children in school. And the list could go on. But I've come to tell you tonight, I've come with a word of encouragement and hope. Look up. Look up. Your redemption draweth nigh. Let, let's get our eyes adjusted off of the temporal and start looking. Ooh, I'm looking for a city. Whose builder, brother, brother Edwin John, whose builder and maker is God? I, I wasn't built for here. I was built for yonder. I, I wasn't just built for a temporary dwelling down here. Hallelujah. I'm thankful for his blessings. And I'm not going to quit living. But I am going to start living with a fresh intention of where I'm going. I'm going to a city. I'm going to a city whose builder and maker is God. Oh no, there'll be no more dying. There'll be no more loss. There'll be no more tears. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more goodbyes. There'll be no more frustration and no more wildernesses. No more night. No more pain. No more disease, Sister Pam. No more death. I'm looking forward to that day. Soon and very soon. We are going to see the king. Soon. I've been in. I'm telling you. I don't know when he's coming. I don't know the day nor the hour. No man does. But I can tell you. We're on the precipice of something supernatural happening. And now's not the time to get distracted. Now's not the time to fall out with God and fall out with brothers and sisters and get defended and, and leave. The, now is the most defining hour of the church because the last great awakening and the last great revival is going to be that that will take us and usher in the coming of the Lord. Every ear, every person will hear the gospel of Christ. They will hear the death, burial, and resurrection message and have a chance to embrace it or reject it. So I ask you, enter your prayer chambers with fervency. Enter your prayer chamber boldly. Enter this season of life, whatever it may be for you, knowing the atonement's already been made. The price has already been made. It's already been met. God wrapped himself in flesh and paid the ultimate sacrifice. Now it's up to you and I to allow God to do what he wanted to do all the way back 
is to have a dwelling place. Have a dwelling place. You have become that dwelling place. You have become that special place. Search the world over. Try to fill it with everything this world may have. There will always be a little void. Because nobody can fill the place that God was designed and created to dwell. Let's pray. Lord, God, I thank you that the inner veil was torn. I thank you that we no longer, we no longer depend on our worthiness and our goodness, oh God. We no longer have to depend on what necessarily we have to offer. But God, I'm asking, God, I'm asking you upon the authority of your word. God, as we leave this service, we're coming boldly before the throne. We're about to bombard your presence into your throne and make our petitions known and make those things, God, that the loads that we have been carrying, those things that are too much, oh God, I pray in Jesus' name that we will cast our cares upon you. And God, tonight, may the revelation of the tabernacle. God, you have become our salvation. Go with us from this night, but your presence goes with us because it lives inside of us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen and amen. May you invite somebody to church on Sunday. Let me give you a little inside information on Sunday service. It's going to be a special service. Sunday will be nothing but old songs. Sister Martha, go on and take a lap. No, I'm just kidding. We are doing, I won't say old-fashioned, but it's going to be some throwback old songs to a few years ago. So bring your shouting shoes, and we're going to have a good time as we throw back. And Sister Andrea Sparks and team are, are going to lead us. It's, Sister Tracy will be on the keyboard. It's going to be an awesome Sunday, and you don't want to miss it. I promise you, there's going to be a manifestation of his presence and power, and I'm excited about taking a journey back through the songs of old and as we enter into a, a blessed time together. Invite somebody. Don't forget. Please don't forget. Tomorrow night is our Thursday night prayer. Uh, if you can be here at 7, man, be here. It's going to be awesome. Meet me here. I'll be here. I want to see as many of you here in the prayer room or prayer. And I just believe God's going to meet us here. Uh, if you've got your tithe and offerings and would love to return it, do it with a smile on your face. He loves a cheerful giver. In Jesus' name, God bless you.